0: We want to welcome all those my lady Kellers this morning to the United Methodist Church in Sunny Randall, Minnesota. It's a great privilege and honor to come in and be a part of your household. Many of you that um, expressed uh, the kindnesses of our abilities, and we appreciate your support, your personal support, and financial support that you may have. And we want to especially wish all mothers happy. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Thank God for our two three mothers. Our opening hymn this morning is dedicated in the honor of all mothers, ye servants of God, purple number 181. we would like to stand as we turn to our purple, the number 181, ye servants of God, and certainly the title of a godly mother is a servant of God. Michelle, before you, possibly at the end of the service, Chris can give us an update on Michelle's situation. We we'll also thank you this morning for the honor of all mothers, all women who have experienced godly affection for their children. We thank you, Lord, that you're moving us to a, a sense of awe and majesty god Dr. We thank you this morning for the tool of congregational health and discernment around this affiliation, which has been a tool in similar forms throughout my ministry. We pray for a blessing of God. We pray for discernment. I know that it has been redundant through the years of a possible upcoming separation. That if anybody ever attended annual conferences for the last 50 years? They've noticed the great schism and the divide between what John Wesley won for his church as he broke away from the Anglican Church. Never really wanted to start another denomination, but when his attempts to reform the Anglican Church failed, he started to meet and greet people as he was forbidden worship and preaching in the Anglican church, John Charles Wesley. They started their own movement. It was a very methodical, methodical movement. It was known as Methods. Then Isms, Stock Methodism. And then the formation of the United Methodist Church in 1968 as a merger between Evangel United Brethren the Methodist Church occurred. And since that time, there's been a tremendous division, a background, a schism between those who believe the Bible, believe the scripture, tradition, reason, experience, and those who deny. died. Between those who believe that the Bible should change scripture, and scripture should face change culture and rather than culture affecting the Bible and scripture. Wesley's trilateral theology, basically the scripture, church, reason, and experience, that all judgment should be made according to that plan. And as we noticed in our own church, uh, we pray for a just and orderly resolution of the problems that divide us. Well, the institutional members of the commission found a way, by, but ironically, the commission announced that its March meeting—the formation of a task force. To explore the possibility of a hybrid general conference in 2024. This change of heart comes too late and shows that the commission thought it impossible we could had been done a year ago. And again, again, I know that's hard to believe for persons in the local churches who are in denial. I assume all church leaders are honest, fair, and well-meaning. But the truth is, the earth resolved we've. We, Revolves around the sun. The world is round, and the power of politics led to the postponement of General Conference. And here is something else that will be hard to believe that there will be some bishops who will mislead the church, and many pastors who will deceive their congregations in the coming months about the future of the UM Church. As local churches consider their options for leaving, they will be told they are overactive overreacting some bishops and pastors will tell you my United methods and views that there's no reason to depart because nothing will change and the UN church will continue to do this big tent denomination that respects all persons and all points of views you and your church will never be made to do anything you do not want to do you'll never be forced to accept a progressive minister or a gay a lesbian minister. An we pray, Father, for discernment. We're living in difficult times, almost times that are prophesied as the last days. When up is down, down is up. We remember what can be lost by least consulting with the architect of a successful global legislative, ecc- ecclesiastical gathering when similar times UM Church's General Conference. As a friend of mine recently quick on recruiter, we can do almost anything in the church, online these days, including the celebration of the Lord's Supper, and we can hold the general conference. And amidst apologies politics of postponement, the main problem of the UM Church has never been that we disagree. We've all accepted sinners. Regardless of what sin they commit, but the rationalization of a, a sin. We accepted sinners, but not the rationalization of acceptance of certain sins. And the human church is built to hold in disagreement. At our very foundations, we established certain processes by which we could resolve disagreements and move forward with the wishes of the church. The problem with the EOM Church and the recent separation has become inevitable is that many of our leaders have rejected our processes of resolving disagreements. They have rejected our instruments of unity. And now, once again, by again postponing the general conference, key leaders of our church have rejected the processes by which we made critical and crucial decisions. The governance of the U.M. churches failed, and the decision once again postpone a general conferences is a perfect represent- representation of that failure. And what now, we may ask ourselves? In the days ahead, many will have to search. Search their hearts and make difficult decisions. I understand that there are churches, there are laity, clergy, who for reasons of theology and fiction and conscience will Remain in the church. I respect this decision, though I will not do so. Were I going to stay in the UM Church, however, I would be deeply concerned about the erosion of proper denominational government. It's a small group of people that can subvert the work of our highest decision making body. If bishops can violate church law with impunity, if the UM Church can go, Eight full years without a regular general conference. If we can, with a straight face, argue that jurisdictional conferences should meet in the absence of a general conference, it's very clear that the system of governance established in various considerations of that discipline since 1968 is no longer functional. That system so easily and blatantly subverted cannot be trusted. We pray for discernment this week, Lord, as we anticipate our superintendent coming and meeting with us next weekend. The idea that we might bless one another in part ways amicably was a lofty hope, but anyone who attends any of the conferences, general or jurisdictional or annual conferences, would be skeptical that such a plan of cooperation and peace might prevail. We... Could have had peace. It was there for the taking instead by postponing the general conference and oppressing the protocol. The protocol, yes, the protocol. We have chosen another path. We have chosen costly and public battles over property. We have chosen the already tarnished community of the church. We have manifestly failed to learn from the battles of those who have gone before us in similar divisions. So be it. The way ahead that that will require resolve, wisdom, faith, and prayer. Traditionalists who believe in the Bible, Scripture, tradition, and reason should hold to no illusions that the necessary separation and formation of a new denomination will be easy. We must seek the mind of Christ to move forward in keeping with His will. Regardless of how we may feel about the postponement and the general conference, our obligations as Christians do not change. How we behave and in the months ahead will reflect upon the integrity of our collective witness. We will face temptations. We're much like the Israelites who wanted to lead Pharaoh, but then they started to complain once again in the desert. God provided a man, and they complained about the manna, much like the Israelites. As we leave, we will face temptations to return evil for evil, to let frustration and anger rule our thoughts, to choose pride or humility and wrath over grace. In Genesis 4 7, I'm reminded that God once came. Sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master the sin. Cain did not do so. But by the transforming and the sanctifying grace of God perhaps we may we pray all this Lord as you've taught us so miraculously and consi- consistently to pray in that name according to your will. Praying together, our Father, Lord in heaven. hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we turn to scripture, um, we have a guest with us this morning, and I would like to introduce her or reintroduce. Welcome to our country. Let's turn to our scripture. Thank you are joining us by television this morning. Mike, would okay, you please come? You feel up to sharing scripture this
1: morning? I am going to do, yes. Good morning, brothers and sisters. The scripture is John four, John chapter four, verse five through forty-two. In the pass of Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's will was there, and so Joseph, where as he was with this journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman to Samaria to draw water. Jesus said, Lord, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Asked you to drink of me, a woman of Samaria. They were getting along. For Jews that had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you know the gift of God, and you know who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would fast him, and he would have given you to live in water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get them living water? Are you the greater than our father Jacob? who gave us so the well and drink from himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Call, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a our father worshipped on the mountain. And you said that Jerusalem is this place where men ought to worship jesus said or one believe me the hours coming when neither of this mountain nor in jerusalem will you worship the father you worship what you do not know you worship what we know for salvation is from the jews but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for such the father seeks to worship him god of spirit and those who worship him must worship his spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that besides coming. he is called Christ, when he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I speak to you, and he. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but none said, What do you wish? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the city and were coming in. Meanwhile, the disciples beside him said, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat in which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There yet four months then come to harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and see how the fields are already waiting for harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here is the saying holds uh, true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you did not labor others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of this word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of your words that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world, and God will help us come to that same conclusion. It's not just words that we hear; it's not just actions we see. All those certainly do help, but we have to come to a realization in our personal, in our hearts, that God, put that on your behalf, was doing the time. My laser today is for you mothers. I truly believe God gave us mothers; they are a blessing. Although some of us unfortunately, and for a certain number of reasons, don't have good mothers with them or fathers mother Certainly not all the parents have perfect parents, either mothers or fathers, but they're not permanent. We may have lost one or both of our parents, like I said, but this is a list of some of the characteristics that a godly mother should model and show her children. Number one, the first quality of a godly mother is to they strive to get as close to God as possible for their children to witness. They consistently pray to God and also in reading deep them from the word. If your kids have ever seen you pray or interrupted you while you were studying your Bible, you are doing what's best for them even though they didn't have your attention at that example. And you assured them you can never be or get close to God. Number two. Because you may have shown your children you can't go too close to God, you take the time to show them that you should always pray and talk to God like he's your best friend. He's much more of a friend, but he is our friend. It is, it is absolutely beneficial for kids not only see you studying the Word of the Bible, but to show you the and talk to God and Father God's prayers. Number three. A godly mom regularly talks to children, children. You may be, never be too generous and giving. They see her giving of her own properties to others in need on a regular basis to show the children the heart of the servant. Along with generosity, she models obedience to Father God. She not only knows the children, how, shows the children how to live, but she's. She wants a biblical relationship with God consistently. Not perfectly, none of us are perfect, but they should be showing them, you talk to God as if you stare at it with you, and you should shut your Bible, like it matters, because it's true in Along with showing the relationship with God by praying and talking to God, and reading his word, she comes as close as she can to model responsible forgiveness. She not only shows her children that negative actions most of the time I've made the consequences. We all know this, children. But there is time for forgiveness and mercy and forgetting bad behaviors. That is Mother to God. Through Jesus Christ, no matter what we did here on earth, when we get to heaven to be with Father God, we're with Father God in perfection, just like Jesus is. I remember several qualities of a godly mother. And in all parents should be expected to model this for their children. These laws are not number aren't perfect, but just as critical, she should show them determination, honesty, and encouragement. Certainly not least, please anger and disappointment can be crushed and overcome by love. Remember, accountability is just as important to children in their learning. For
0: their sake, as forgiveness, grace, and above all, love. Mike, would you help me out a
1: little bit? Yeah.
0: You know, we're going to do a little investigation, okay?
1: okay.
0: Between now and the end of the cruise, so could you find out the oldest mother? mother, yeah. and new mother. And What's that? The giant family. The family.
1: Okay, thanks, Mike. Thanks, yeah. yeah. Mike.
0: I um, read of, um, and, and um, had a patent a number of years ago, because I from those states And they had a patent on um, caves that were enclosed the participants in case of an accident. And they had a patent on that to preserve the lives of the people. But since they invented that a number of years ago, it's been used by a number of our, our manufacturers. And it was asked by um, one of the opposing dealers why Mercedes-Benz did not um, pursue on those manufacturers that had used their hat. And he's responded by saying that it, um, when you have a good thing going for yourself and you don't share it, you need to um, evaluate your hospitality or areas of perfection. Here we see in scripture a very unlikely evangelist. Scriptures are very apparent and very open to the fact of what is going on in this text of Scripture. Mike read it very well. Very descriptive. I grew up on a a farm where I learned to students very quickly and of the male and the female, roosters, and horses, and mares, bulls, cows. And, and we uh, sense in our scripture here a division taking place between those who were trying to reject Jesus and the things that he was preaching and teaching and sharing about in Jesus acceptable behavior so it's really remarkable that this particular evangelist and I say she was evangelist happens to be a woman a woman she would be probably surprised about it as anybody would be that she was an evangelist especially when she first met Jesus she was surprised scripture says that she was surprised about Jesus recognizing her as anybody was surprised. And when she first met Jesus, she was even surprised that Jesus spoke to her. It was was at a well outside her village. She had gone there to draw water. She thought she would be the only one there at that hour of the day. But here was his man. Here was his man, a Jew. And this man spoke to her, a Samaritan woman. And least that's when the discovered what a Samaritan person was, and it was, kind of a mixed blood. It wasn't really Jew, it wasn't really Gentile. But there was this man, a Jew, and he spoke to her, a Samaritan woman. And she was a bit, bit taken back that Jesus was speaking to her. Such things rarely happened in that day at time in this particular culture. Women genuinely were second classes, second class citizens. It reminds me of a scene that we recently have dealt with the controversy in the Supreme Court. It seems like some of was most wisest and intelligent people are. Having hard and they certainly went male and female. But it sounds and it reminds me of a scene that the former Supreme Court Justice William Douglas once described. The Supreme Court justice, Douglas was visiting a part of the Muslim world that segregates women such as they did in Dean time, such as they did in Jesus' time. And one evening, as Douglas was talking with two Muslim women, a husband, that one of the women arrived at the scene, he came cursing, using the Lord's name in vain. And as a, our Supreme Court Justice was talking to these two Muslim women, a, a husband, one of the women, arrived on the scene, he came cursing, using the Lord's name in vain. And Face was just so livid. It's almost like he was demon possessed, said Douglas. And he lunged, lunged at his wife with closed fist. He hit his wife alongside of her face and knocked his wife to the ground. And later the husband came back to apologized to Mr. Douglas, but not for his own behavior, but amazingly he apologized for his wife's conduct. What happened with, what occurred was he hoped? Mr. Douglas would find not to think too badly of his wife for what she had done. What was his what was his wife's disgraceful conduct? She had spoken to a man without her husband's permission. To Such was life in the biblical um, times. No wonder the woman in our lesson for the day was was shocked that Jesus would talk to her. That was the way things were in the part of the world during Jesus' day. Jesus came to liberate women to give them a position, of status people. No division between male and female. You were Gentile. Jewish men didn't talk to strange women, especially Samaritan women. So that is the first thing that was unique about this particular evangelist. She was a woman. She was a woman, who we honor women today. Thank God for the liberating force that Jesus Christ brings into our lives. But there's here's something even more surprising. She, she wasn't a very nice woman, the scripture is right. wasn't a very nice
1: woman. Now, things are getting pretty sticky now. It's one
0: thing for God to allow a woman to share the good news, but it's another thing for God to allow a woman with all the problems that this woman had to be a witness, to be a witness for Jesus, for the Lord. This was a woman who had been married many times, married many times, and everyone seemed to know about it. And when she met Jesus, she was, she was living with a man, she was cohabiting. She was fornicating, to whom she wasn't married. During those days, in my early times ministry, in your years, you looked at that as a scarlet woman. As folks used to say, of course, nowadays, behavior, such behavior could hardly raise an eyebrow. Some of you who are old enough to remember when Ingrid Bergman, how many of you remember Ingrid Bergman, was invited to the Ed Sullivan show appear in his program. This was around nineteen fifty eight I wasn't very old, but I remember it. for some reason I kinda of remember the stress and anxiety and, and on the black and white television because it registered to me. There's something that wasn't quite right. For our for our younger members, the Ed Sullivan Show was one of the leading programs on television in those days, some of those were like Jack Barth, Johnny Carson. Shows the that I don't even watch. But at that time, Ed Sullivan had invited Agric Bergman on television in those days long ago. And Bergman was was living, was living with an Italian film producer. She had left her husband. She had announced, she had mothered a, a child by her lover. Now here is something that was very interesting, when it was announced that Bergman was going to be on the Ed Sullivan show, such a public clamor, clamor rose that Ed Sullivan had to rescind her invitation. Can you imagine that in light of what was about on television today? There has been a definite change in the moral climate in that country. in our evangelical circles. It's not unusual to find young adults living together without the benefit of bloodlines. Meanwhile, the, the number of unwed mothers is soaring. We think we've invented some type of new A morality. We get down. Like, it's been around since recorded. And all we've done in our society today is to make it semi-respectful. But in Jesus' time, things were a little different. Biblical times there were, there were still laws on the books that prescribed, prescribed the adulteress to be stolen to death. So you can imagine how surprised this Samaritan woman was that a man of Jesus' piety and, and stature had any dealing with her at all. Not only because she was a woman, but she was not necessarily a nice woman. It seemed to be to the disciples and to all those that surrounded Christ, such an embarrassment, such an embarrassment, it can't be distinguished. Jesus simply did not take into consideration how the righteous people would react to his reactions and his actions. Why he embarrassed his own disciples? They were continually having to explain his, his unconventional behavior. The people he associated with and the customs that he ignored, But to have anything to do with this particular woman was really, really going too far. Those followers of Jesus felt the disciples knew why she had come to the well. In the heat of the day, she, she was a village outcast. It was only the outcast that came during the heat of the day. She couldn't um, even associate with other women. Yet Jesus was sees possibilities in her. Jesus not only speaks to her, Jesus elevates her and he uses a term for her that would be shocking to many people. He called her woman. Now we clearly don't understand what the basis of this term was. Now, that may not seem shocking in English, but Bible scholars tell us that the Greek word for woman is uno, G-U-N-E uno is used here. This is not a term used for school. It's not a term used for any form of contempt. Rather, it's a term used lovingly as a term of great endearment. It can be translated special lady, special lady. Here's what is really shocking. Jesus used the same word for this woman that he used for his mother Mary at the wedding in King of Galilee, at the cross. Imagine that Jesus called a woman who was regarded in her own village
1: as hardly better than a prostitute. A special lady. A special lady. Even more surprisingly, Jesus
0: treated her like a special lady. Jesus listened to her and Jesus respected her opinion. Jesus did not compromise his own convictions. Certainly Jesus would never compromise his convictions, he believed in holiness, the obedience, the equivalent love jesus hate. she went she went away knowing that her lifestyle must change things But he treated her with dignity as a very child of god in fact this woman was the first person mentioned in the new testament to whom jesus revealed his true identity because he said i will speak i will speak to you and the messiah now the impact of Jesus' acceptance on this woman was enormous. Never before had she been treated by a man like this. The men that she had known had possibly raped her. The men that she had known had undoubtedly used her and abused her. They certainly did not treat her like a special lady. This Samaritan woman probably didn't like men very much. It's interesting the relationship that some women have with men. At the same time, she could not live without a man in her life. You may have known someone like her somewhere or sometime. Many books I've read and psychological profiles of women like this books have been written about such women, women who, who love too much. Love too much, one author has called them. An outsider simply cannot understand. Such, such women will who, who live with the most abusive Man, rather than try to live with no man, we tell our daughters, if a man ever lays a hand on you, get out of there. Let me know about it. I'll take care of it. That's the only solution to most cases of domestic violence. But there are some women who will not listen. They call it love. They call it love. But really, it's pathological. It's, It's a destructive thing. Um, this woman at the at the well had gone from one dead-end relationship to another not one man had given her what she had really hungered for but still she kept up her desperate desperate search and and then she encountered jesus much like you and i and those by way of television and reading and other means of communication we need an encounter with jesus she encountered jesus and she discovers that in jesus in Jesus and what
1: she really needed all those years she needed to know
0: that her life mattered much like you and I need to meet Jesus and encounter Jesus we need to know our life matters she needed to know that in spite of all her failures in spite of all her weaknesses in spite of all her sins she was a she was a person of worth and self-worth she did not know who she really was until she met him. This teacher, Jesus, from Nazareth. And then she met Jesus, and thank God, her life her life changed. She would never be the same again. She had brought her jar, the scripture says, her jar to the well, to draw water. But in her encounter, in her encounter with Jesus, she had discovered something far more significant. She had been given the water, the water of life. The water of life. At the, well, probably would have liked to have stayed in Jesus' presence. But the disciples arrived, and the disciples put it to an end. And she went away, it says, into the city. And John tells us, nor should we forget this detail, leaving, leaving the water to Was it because? Was it because she was in such a hurry? She was
1: overwhelmed with a sense of self-worth and self Probably
0: one one other suggested that it might have been a ruse, just a ruse. When she returns, she will be able to use this as a as a pretext to say, "I forgot, I forgot my lunch. I need to come back and see Jesus again." But here is what is really striking as to come to a close: this Samaritan woman, this Samaritan woman had, who had fouled up her life in so many ways. She turns into an evangelist. Into an evangelist. Come, she says. Come see a man. See a man who told me all that I ever did. She tells her friends in the village, can speak to the Christ? Can to the Christ? And her urging, and her persistence, and her urging the people from the village come out, they come out to the well, and perhaps one or another of her five or her six husbands is among them. And they beg Jesus. They beg Jesus and his followers, the band of Jews, to stay with them. Stay with them. A village of Samaritans. Oh, yes. Now, a good number of people from the village believe in Jesus because of, of, of his words. to heard, says John. And the people said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So there you have it. There you have it. A story of a very unlikely, unlikely evangelist. A woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman with a shady, shady reputation, and yet she found in Jesus what she really what she really needed. She found out that she was especially a special being. She found out who she was as a child of God. And when she found out who who she was, when she found out what Jesus could do in her life, she went back and she told others, you know. You know, if God can use someone like this Samaritan woman, Spread the good news, me. Maybe, maybe God can use you and I, people like you and I. Have you found out? Have you found what Have you need in Christ? Have you discovered, because of your relationship with Jesus, that you are a special lady or a special gentleman? Isn't it about time you told somebody? After all, there are some things in life, like the patent of the Mercedes automobile, There are things in life too important not to share.